last Sunday, and we're kind of in this series, right, this little two-part series dealing with the church and politics, and uh, uh, last Sunday I, I talked about um, how the election, which has, is now past us, but not really, uh, I talked about how it has distracted many of us, many Christians, and uh, pulled us off message the gospel and off, off of our mission, reaching the nations. And uh, I basically reminded us of, of a couple of things um, that, that I believe would help us to not get so distracted and enamored with what's going on around us. Do you remember what those things were if you were with us? Number one, that we have a king on the throne, and uh, he rules the nations, and he is, he is over uh, all authority. He is the chief authority over uh, all of creation. And so when you know you have a, a king on the throne who's sovereign over all, uh, it kind of makes presidents look about that big. And uh, you won't be so enamored and enraptured with this whole political process and elections. And then secondly, the other thing that is meant to strike a blow against uh, our distractions and all of that is the fact that we're really not citizens here. We're citizens of heaven. Uh, we're aliens. We're strangers. Uh, you know, we do. This is a temporary home for us, if you will. And so, again, what, what does that mean? What does that entail? It means that you know we shouldn't take the things of of the earth, the temporal things, the temporary things, so seriously to the point that they gain all of our attention and focus. And so, um, I suspect that some of you were probably maybe a little concerned after the service or wondering why maybe I, I didn't provide uh, maybe some kind of a biblical outline for how to choose a candidate uh, or something of that nature. And I have to confess to you, originally that was kind of my thinking, and then I realized that by the time I would be done preaching that sermon, we would realize that we can't vote for anyone because no one would meet God's standard. Hence the reason why we need the gospel. So I decided not to go that route, but more or less to reframe our minds and to refocus us on the throne of God and our true citizenship, which, which I was hoping would kind of recalibrate us and get us to not take what's actually going on around us so seriously, and for us maybe to recenter and to take the things of God much more seriously. And so that was my approach. So I do apologize if I, if I didn't give you a 10-step thing, and that's what you were looking for. But then again, I don't really apologize, because that's not what we need. Um, so we, are, we have a king on a throne. We're kingdom people. That's what we focused on. And, and I, I do believe that it ended up being helpful. I know it was to me, because it, it seemed like so much pressure was taken off and all of this, and I could just go to the polls and, and do my thing and do it in secrecy and, and not be too worried about the outcome. And so I, for me, it was a success. Anyways, uh, one of the things that I did mention to you as well is, is that uh, my Facebook news feed and even my own personal page has just been utterly uh, infected by political, you know, talk. And, and, uh, and, and I, I think that everyone here that has uh, more than maybe two friends on Facebook and your news feed probably had at least one post on it. And uh, my wife is very, very wise. I'm not. She has, you know, maybe 100 people that are actual people that she really knows. I have 4,100 people, and I know 100 of them. And so 
you get you get a lot of stuff when you're connected to that many people. But uh, my news feed has been filled with it was filled with stuff then, and I have to say that it is still filled with stuff that I thought was going to fall off. And it's actually filled with more now. So um, it's not working. <laughs> uh, and, and we do know, of course, by now, I would hope that we all know that Donald Trump has won the election. And, uh, and, and not just won the election, but just uh, in terms of competition, absolutely destroyed the other team. I mean, the electoral vote, the, even the popular vote now has exceeded hers. It's just unreal what's taken place. And uh, I kind of felt like it would go that way, and I was kind of calling that the whole night, even before results started coming in. And I just felt like maybe America was going to head in another direction, and it did. But anyways, he has won, and so that has caused a much greater flow of Facebook posts, and I, and I thought I would read some of them to you off of my own news feed. Um, white supremacy wins, and that was posted by a pastor. White supremacy wins. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting, because um, I, I, I'm white, but um, I, I'm going to try not to give too much commentary on it, but anyways... Uh, here's another one. If you voted Trump today, make sure you explain to your LGBT plus female, black, Latino, Latina, and Muslim friends that they don't matter to you at all. <laughs> so, you know, I immediately just started trying to figure out people's sexual orientation and color and, and sex, and I just started sending them messages. I hate you. I took their advice. Um, this was an interesting one from a gal that I served alongside of for a number of years. So, I, you know, I was trying to figure out who's Christian and who isn't. And uh, I don't know if that even matters because do I really know who really is a Christian? I'm trying to still figure out if I am. Um, I don't have words yet, only tears. And I thought, how sad. How sad. Uh, here's another one. God bless your day, exclamation point, even with Hitler Trump. That's a pastor. <laughs> the same one who said white supremacy wins. Um, and then uh, here's another one. The party of the religious right, false religion, voted Trump into office. No true follower of Christ in good conscience would have voted for Trump. That's a Christian that said that. No Christian in good conscience would have voted for Donald Trump. Uh, oh, and here's, here's one uh, from a, a brother I served alongside of for a number of years. Um, here is a list of traitors who sold their souls and turned their backs on America. And then he goes down this entire list, Miley Cyrus, Katy Perry, Samuel L. Jackson, etc., etc. These are the traitors, you know, that sold their souls. That's from a, a Christian uh, guy. So he's, that's, that's kind of how he's thinking about those who uh, didn't go his way. Uh, another one, every Trump supporter falls into one of three categories. You're sexist, you're racist, you're selfish, or a combination of all. That's a Christian. Um, after reading that one, I 
felt like maybe I should jump off of a tall platform into lava. Um, and here's another one that kind of got my attention, and it was just so simple. I'm terrified. <laughs> In some ways, I guess I am too a little bit because I don't know. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just terrified. Uh, and then my wife uh, read some, uh, I don't know what she was looking at, and she read uh, some stuff to me, and, I, and it was kind of the same thing over and over, and I just thought it was kind of really funny. People were saying, I'm done with America, I'm moving to another country, I'm moving to Hawaii. I had to take my toes off to count the amount of state. And then there was another one where, uh, where a, a gal actually said, I'm done with America. I'm going to take a train to Australia. I mean, I've seen the bridges in Key West. They're long, but they're not quite that long. So I, I don't know how. Um, and, and I guess my point is not to make fun of these people, um, but it is. Uh, it's, it's, to, um, it's just to try, to try to, have you seen these things? Are you seeing this stuff? I mean, if, if you were here last Sunday, you would think, man, he just hates Donald Trump. And this week, he doesn't. No, 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 that's not the point. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't hate Donald Trump last week. I don't hate him this week. I never hated Hillary or any of that, although I've said some things I shouldn't have. I, I've just never, it's not about any of that. So it's not like, I want you to get the wrong idea here that I'm reading some of these negative Trump things that all of a sudden I just think he's the best thing since sliced bread. What I'm trying to do is give you two fingers to put on the pulse of what people are feeling and experiencing today. And for crying out loud, you don't need me to help you do that. You can just put the news on and watch car windows getting bashed out and I'm terrified and all of this kind of stuff going on. Or you might see a, um, a lot of conservatives or Christians running around pounding their chests. We did it. Get over it, you stupid liberals. Those are the kinds of things they're saying. So I just wanted to give you a sense of, of what's going on. And, and maybe uh, as we kind of move into this thing here, because what I'm going to be trying to do is I'm going to give us five things that believers actually should be doing post-election. So I wanted to give you a sense of what's going on and then maybe how we respond to what's going on. And uh, so we're going to be looking at part two of our little mini-series, What to Do After the Election. Um, five things I'm going to give, five post-election things. Now, these things are really universal. You know, they, they, we should, uh, they should be things that we're doing at all times, not just after election, but we're coming out of an election. So let me pray uh, before I start naming them off and describing them. Father, um, we have seen something quite extraordinary happen where a, an actual non-politician just got elected, although he probably is a politician. But we've, we're just seeing a lot of just th things that we've, we're just not familiar with. This election has been quite unlike any other. And, uh, and, and people are filled with pride right now because they're happy that they won, and there's people that are just heartbroken over this whole thing. God, you're not calling us to be either. Um, it would be impossible for us to not be impacted or affected by what's going on, but we certainly shouldn't be pounding our chests or despairing over or fearful. You haven't given us a spirit of fear 
And, uh, and so just, just help us to, uh, maybe like last week, we were kind of recalibrated. This week, we need to be recalibrated. We need, to, we need wisdom from the Word, from the Scripture on how to live and how to respond to these sorts of things. And so we want to give you our, our time right now and our attention, and we pray that you would teach us and begin to use us for your namesake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is going to be really practical. I, I kind of wish more people were here because I think it'll be helpful, but I'm glad you're here. Okay, so five things, right? Number one, and I think this is absolutely vital, and it's the thing that is always threatened and impacted by everything that's going on around us, and that is keep trusting in Jesus. Just, just, just make it your goal, your life's ambition, <laughs> to trust in Jesus. Keep turning to Jesus. And I have to tell you, my first response to what I'm about to describe to you was, was I was kind of laughing and mocking, and then I was struck by sadness. But one of the saddest moments of election night for me was when they, you know, when cameras sort of panned out over, um, over you know, Hillary's base camp, if you will, and and. You know, what I saw through the camera and on my TV were just dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of people weeping, and some profusely as they were realizing that their candidate uh, was going to lose. And at first I was like, ha, 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 yeah, and then I thought, ha, 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 you're not being Christian. Why would you mock that? Uh, and so I, I just realized that this is really, really a, a, a tragic Sort of thing. And I think what was happening is people were responding in this way for a number of reasons. Most certainly, Dagon, the false idol, had been brought down and dashed to pieces in front of them. They had put all their hope in this person. Uh, And so, you know, when when our idols are taken from us and, and literally destroyed before our very eyes, it can be a very heartbreaking thing. So I think there's that idolatry, I'm putting my hope in Hillary Clinton component there. But I think also people were weeping because they believe that their idea of America has now been lost. Uh, And so, you know, either way, we shouldn't criticize people's sadness. We should be saddened by the fact that they put so much into this person. And I have no doubt that if, if Trump was getting schlacked like she was at that moment, and if they would have panned over his headquarters, you would have probably seen very similar uh, response. And so, you know, the idea that, that, that my hope has been dashed to pieces, I'm about to lose hope because my candidate, the one whom I've been hoping in, is being brought low, being destroyed before my very eyes. And I think that that can be a very sad and frightening thing. And I think that's kind of what was, what was playing out there. Maybe the idolatry of it was, you know, the idol nature was being destroyed. The hope that they had placed in this person was being destroyed. Their view of America was now being threatened. Um, and quite honestly, um, the mainstream networks have done a really, really good job of creating a lot of fear around that candidate, around Trump. He's going dis- you know, to kill gays. He's going to kill all the Muslims. He's going to, you know, he's going to he hates women, and he's going to kill all of them. Of course, he had a female campaign manager who's pulled off something that's never even happened in American history to actually win a campaign. 
Um, but, you know, it, there's a lot, of, a lot of hatefulness and fear surrounding this election. And so the mainstream media has caused those who take it in to believe that this guy really is like this kind of antichrist person who's going to kill all the Muslims and hates all the gays and all this stuff. And so, of course, people are sitting there and they're weeping because they believe these things to be true of this guy. And what does that mean for us? Really, really sad. Um, another example wouldn't be just what we saw that night, but it would be with the protests and things that are going on around our country right now, you know, and I think they kind of started in Oakland, and, you know, now they're in Chicago and L.A. and all over the place, and you've got, and I don't know, by definition, to me, a protest has always been in response to some sort of civil liberty or right being violated, and you protest, you, you can't really protest when you lose an election. So I don't know if it's right to call these people protesters because I don't think they fit the definition. I think they're actually just upset that they lost. Uh, but it's interesting, and if you look on the news at all, and like I said, you need to take that in small doses because it just corrupts you, but you've got all of these things that are happening all over the country, all of this unrest. I saw a video the other day of an older gentleman ripped out of his car and beaten to a pulp. And, uh, and it was just, it's just incredible how much people have invested into this stuff and, and how they're responding to it. Unreal. The media has just done an insane job of, of painting these people as uh, either our savior or the absolute enemy of all civilization. And... Uh, You know, I, I, I'd like to say this, and I'd I like to be cautious when I try to talk about political figures and elections and things like that, but it, it, it's pretty obvious that God is planning to use Trump to accomplish his purposes. I think that it would be very foolish for someone to stand before you and to tell you that this is just going to be lollipop land and it's going to be great. Many of us have not been sober-minded about this and don't see Trump as a potential threat and a Trojan horse that could come in and be the opposite of everything that he said. So I, th I don't think it would be wise to say that God has put Trump in office to use him for glorious, great purposes. We don't know. We do not know whether this is going to be, in our minds, according to our perspective, positive or negative. I do know one thing, that it's going to be God's plan. <laughs> God raises up leaders and takes out leaders, and, and he's going he's gonna to use him. It could be that he's going to use him to, to uh, maybe rebuild our government, maybe realign our government with God's design for government. It could be. I mean, that's why many of us voted for him, because that's the appearance. That's what we've been seeing. Or God could be planning to use him to further dismantle our mode of government and nation. So it could be either or. And for many of us, it would be very, a very negative thing for him to use him in that way. Uh, so uh, bottom line, we don't know if it's going to be for positive things, as he said it would be, or negative things. And so here's the bottom line, man. Don't put your hope in him. You, you, <laughs> You know, he won the election. This is fantastic. We're saved. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. You know, he can't deliver us from anything. We don't want to shift our... But because he's won, 
We don't want to shift our hope into what he has said he's going to do. We, we should remain hopeful in a sense that he does what he says. He makes good on his word. But don't place your ultimate hope in him or in what he can do. You have to keep trusting in Jesus no matter who wins. You, you can't... Here's the temptation. If Hillary's in, I'm going to really trust in Jesus. If Trump's in, I'll give Jesus a little of my trust, but I don't really have to be on my guard. I don't really have to be thinking like that. Yes, you do. Doesn't matter who's in office. Doesn't matter if it's your guy, your gal, or whatever. The Christian is called to trust in Christ alone. And so what I hate is when I see videos of guys talking about, look, we've got our Samson now. Everything's going to be great. You're an idiot. He's not Samson. He's Donald Trump. He's like Samson. He's a donkey. Well, Samson used a donkey jaw. You know, quit, quit trying to spiritualize these things and quit trying to put your hope and your trust in this guy or that gal or whatever. We're not called to do that. That's idolatry. We don't know what he's going to do. We think that he's going to do something. And what will our response be if it turns out to be the opposite? Are we going to be weeping in a banquet hall like, they, like the Hillary supporters were? If we keep our trust in Jesus alone, then, then whatever happens, happens, man. I certainly don't wish that uh, he's the opposite of what he said. Um, we just got to be careful not to put our hope into people. Uh, there's going to be a massive temptation to shift the hope now that he's won in, back into him or to keep it in him. I told you last week that when, when we shift our hope off of Jesus into man, it always, always, always leads to heartbreak. Why? Because men fail. We fail. We, we cannot, we are not perfectly faithful, we are not perfectly capable of really pulling off anything. Apart from grace, we're mud. In 1 Timothy 1.1, the Apostle Paul reminded his readers that Christ Jesus alone is what? Our hope. Christ Jesus, he calls, he says, Christ Jesus, our hope. He doesn't say Christ Jesus and good politicians Christ Jesus and a semi-godly civil authority. Christ Jesus and your bank account. Christ Jesus and your spouse. Christ Jesus and your job. Christ Jesus in anything. It's just the person and work. It's Christ Jesus. He's our hope. A little later in 1 Timothy 4.10, he wrote, We have our hope set on the living God. Christ lives. God is alive. I love how King David put it in Psalm 20, verses 7 through 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. And a little later he says, they collapse and fall. And then he says, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then he says, a little later, we rise and we stand upright. Later in Psalm 34, verse 8, David wrote, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? We just sang that. And then he says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And Donald Trump. And Hillary Clinton. No, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who trusts in the Lord. The Lord 
alone. Those who trust in the Lord have confidence. They have godly confidence. They rise and stand upright. Those who do not trust in the Lord, those who put their trust in chariots and horses, in civil authority, in, 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 in political figures, those who do that, they slink down, collapse, and fall. Those who trust in the Lord are blessed, it says, he says. They are blessed. They are blessed of God. That blessing could be the joy and the sense of security. I mean, however it manifests itself. And yet over in Jeremiah 17, 15, the scripture says those who trust in man are cursed. The opposite of blessed. We got a fine line to walk here, friends. We've got to keep our trust in Jesus, even if your candidate won. Oh, he's going to uphold the Constitution, our Second Amendment, our First Amendment. All those things will be in place. We can keep enjoying ourselves and doing all of this stuff, and it's going to be wonderful, and we're going to get some tax relief, and and all of these things are going to happen. It's going to be like heaven on earth. Fool. Don't think like that, man. Do not shift your faith, your trust off of Jesus onto man. No matter who wins, even if the more favorable person to you won. And I know a great many Christians who are not happy about Trump's victory because they think he's despicable, which he certainly has been in many ways. To me, he he reminds me of the nimbuses that I hung around on the football team back in high school. He acts like one of those guys, hey, women, huh? That's our president. If I see one more picture of his almost completely naked wife on my newsfeed because she was a model, I'm going to barf. In fact, I'm just defriending people that are putting, I don't want to see it. Christians have, have good reason to have not supported him. He's given us plenty. And quite honestly, I think there are, are, are a few reason, good reasons for how some Christians have, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But it's not going to be what you're thinking. So firstly, keep trusting Jesus. Secondly, set a holy example. <laughs> Boy, this is, this is one of those times where we could really pull that off or not. And if you were here last week and heard my sermon, you would get the idea that many Christians have not been doing that because of the insane focus and you know, on the election and all of that, and touting their candidate and slamming the other one, and oh, I got to get this bombshell post up because I tell you what, that's finally going to bring Hillary down. Why don't you put the bombshell post of God's grace on your page that it obliterates our sin? Why don't you put that up instead of another bombshell WikiLeak about her email, sir? Who cares? We have not set a holy example during this election. Many of us have, and I know that I've made mistakes. Remember what I told you last week? I'm like, ooh, that's it. Hmm, and I put it on Facebook on the other side of the house. You're doing it again. Delete. Been there. Fact of the matter is, God has commanded that his people be holy as he is holy. 
Not that we can be perfectly holy, holy, holy like him, but that we would be set apart, but that we would, we would be different from those around us. How can we be holy and different when we're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing? Bombshell post. Oh, I've got to get her. Now, here's five ways right now that you can set a holy example. Here's five ways. A, if your candidate won the election, don't gloat. Get off Facebook. Stop talking to people about it. Quit telling them, ha, 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 Don't gloat over this. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. As soon as you engage in the political thing, you are not being wise toward those outside of the church or even to those who are in the church. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. I hate Hillary. I hate Trump. That's not grace. Seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative, okay? So that you may know how to answer everyone. Don't gloat over the victory. You're not setting a good example toward outsiders or toward insiders when you gloat and you boast and you post or you talk about it endlessly. Okay, so don't gloat over this win if your guy won. B, if you didn't vote for Trump, that's not your guy. You didn't vote for him. Maybe you didn't vote for Hillary either. Maybe you did. I don't know. If you didn't vote for Trump, don't complain about him or his supporters. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword here, guys. Right? I mean, you, you could be like just pounding your chest and gloating over the win, or you could be uh, someone who's just hammering him and hammering those who support him. You could be part of that problem there where, you know, you're either of three things if you supported him. You're sexist, you're racist, you're thisist, you're an ist. It, it, it does no good to do that, too. Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do everything without complaining and arguing. Shut up! So that no one can criticize you. Live, I love this, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. <laughs> So don't gloat if he won and that's who you voted for and don't hammer people for voting for him and don't spend all your time talking about him and he's this and he's that and you're just wasting your time and setting a horrible example. You're not being holy. C, avoid politically charged conversations. Let me rephrase that. Avoid political conversations. You're Superman. Those are kryptonite. Get the heck out of there. I don't care if they post stuff right on your page. You just ignore them. Don't even, don't even acknowledge any of that stuff. Don't even, don't give into it. Don't even engage in the conversation. Unless you come at it from a totally gospel angle and you're not even really referencing any of this. You're just saying, man, my hope's in Jesus. That's it. If you do that, that's cool. But don't, don't get in there. Oh, I got to tell this person. 
Look at that one. I got to answer that one. You know how many times I've typed something up in response and then deleted it before I sent it? Anyone else done that? I got him right here. What's wrong? I got him right here. What? What's wrong with you? Do it. Like your finger won't do it because the Spirit's saying you're an idiot, don't do it. And then you're like, you just can't push the button. Or me, got him. You're doing it. Don't got him. That hurt. Metal. Avoid politically charged, avoid political conversations. Proverbs 26, 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. You know what political conversations are? Foolishness. They're foolish. They're foolish. They accomplish nothing. They have no eternal significance. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Don't respond to that stuff. Don't engage in that stuff. And certainly don't be the catalyst for it and start those things. And the proverbial writer, the proverb writer here says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. Next thing you know, become just like that antagonistic person that's putting that stuff up. And the whole time you're just trying to defend a position or justify yourself and, and you've lost any sense of holiness about you and you're just like everyone else. I know it's not easy. I know. D, do not retaliate when people criticize your party, platform, or politicians. Okay, we're justified <laughs> before the Lord. We're fully accepted. Why do we need the acceptance of others? And when people come at you for doing whatever it is that you've done, maybe you've... Some people will come after you. They just, I know he's a Christian, so he had to have voted for Trump. They don't even know how you voted, but because you love Jesus, somehow you're a part of the religious right and you're, you know, you're Hitler's younger daughter and you just want it, the world to implode and sexism and all these things are great. And, and people just think that automatically assume that because you're a Christian that you vote a certain way. But what I'm telling you is, is that when people post stuff or, or talk to you about things, don't, you don't, you don't got, you've got nothing to prove. That's why I've been telling you to be quiet about your vote. You don't have, you, if you're telling people about it, then you're trying to justify yourself or something. You, you're looking for attention, and you ain't going to get the kind of attention you want. Believe me, you're going to get slacked. Do not retaliate when people criticize your party, platform, or politicians. 1 Peter 3.9 is a great example. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't come back. I've got a witty one for this goofball. On the contrary, he says, repay evil with blessing. You know how, i tell you, man, that is an amazing thing. When somebody blows you up and you come back at, man, I hope you have a wonderful day. You know inside you're saying, I hope you explode. But, you know, right, let's just be real. At first you're thinking that, and then you, you realize, okay, I need to repay this evil comment or this wicked statement or something. If I respond to it at all, I probably shouldn't. But if I do, I'm going to come back with kindness with a blessing. And I'll tell you what, it says in Scripture that, that, that puts hot coals on someone's head. Hopefully they, that'll turn to shame and they'll realize at some point, I just, I just put it on that person and they were, they were cool with me and that, that wasn't cool for me to do that. Do not repay evil with evil. Repay evil with a blessing because 
to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. It's almost like, man, when we respond to the criticism and the nastiness and the ugliness, because there's plenty of it, right? I read some of it. When we respond with blessing, if we respond at all, and I think it's wise just to steer clear, but when we do with blessing, somehow that's connected to a blessing that we will receive from the Lord. I don't know about you. I really, I have a strong desire to be blessed by man and to be accepted by him. I have to admit in my flesh I want that, but it never pays dividends. It's a horrible thing that I get in return. Those blessings that come from the Lord and that acceptance that come from him, that's indestructible stuff. And that, that's ultimately what we should be seeking, are the blessings of our Heavenly Father, not the acceptance and blessings of someone who's mad that they lost an election or that you voted a certain way. And, and I, I have to just be honest, I don't think that most of us are out there telling people how we voted, but I think people are guessing because they're mad. Don't retaliate when they criticize your party. In fact, you could flip it. Let me tell you a little bit more about my party. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty to criticize. Just steer clear of it. Uh, Philippians 1.27, whatever happens. Whatever happens. I love that. It's like this general blanketed term. Whatever happens. Context, whatever happens. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever happens, whether it be criticism, whether it be praise, whatever it is, be holy and conduct yourself in such a way that is appropriate and worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't leave much room for throwing fire at fire there. E, lead a quiet life. This did not happen during this election for Christians. Oh, they were outspoken and vocal, and i got to admit, I did it a few times myself. It's happening again. Whatever happened to just, not just voting in secrecy, but just living that sort of gracious and docile and sort of quiet, I'm going to keep to myself and stick to the things of the Lord. Whatever happened to that in the church? Now the church is all politically charged, and it's got to fight for ground and capture beachhead and I don't think the Lord's pleased. Lead a quiet life. Now, that does not mean don't preach the gospel. It means be quiet about the things that don't matter. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your goal to live quietly, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands. And he says, as we commanded you to do so. There's a beauty in, in just living a sort of, it's not a passive, I don't care about things kind of life, but a life that is quiet in that we don't respond to these sorts of things or in that we don't promote these sorts of things, in that we stick to that which matters. You want to confound the enemy, keep your, and I'm not talking about the, the liberal or the Republican, whatever your affiliation is there, that's not your true enemy, but if you want to confound your true enemy, the spiritual forces of darkness, the devil, and all that, just be quiet. Because sometimes he's going, come on, come on, come on, say it. Come on, what are you doing? Be like those other believers. And you're just like, oh. And then you just gospel. <laughs> I got to move on. Time to move on. Time to find someone else to victimize. Set a holy example, you can do it by being quiet, by living that quiet, godly kind of life, and 
and, and all of these other examples. Now, number three, this is the third thing we should be doing. Stick to the message and mission of the church. I talked about this last week. That was my concern, that many of us have not done that, that we forsook the message and mission of the church for the message and mission of politicians and civil authority and these sorts of things. You just study the Gospels. Just look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and you will notice that he was unconcerned with earthly politics. He even avoided such conversations because people tried to bait him and to get him engaged in things. Even his own disciples did that. Well, when are you going to come establish your throne? And when are you going to do this and all that? That's for the Father to know. Be quiet. Let's move on. I mean, people baited him all the time. They were trying to figure out what's, what, what's your view. Are, okay, Jesus, you know, I, I've been following you for three years. I just need to know, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I'm a Republicrat. He, he's none of it. He wasn't interested in those things. On one occasion, several scribes and chief priests came to him and tried to pull him into a political debate or conversation that would tarnish his character, tarnish his reputation, and it had to do with paying taxes, and he very quickly silenced them with the most brilliant answer, one of the most brilliant answers I've seen in Scripture. All I said to him was, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give me the coin. Whose face is on that coin? Uh, the face of Caesar. Give to him what's due to him, but render unto God the things of God, everything to God. Just give Caesar his little percentage, but all things belong to the Father. Give God all. And he just dealt with them. That, that, that's like, in a nutshell, that's his political conversation and view. He didn't say much more about it than that. Now, some would argue, what are you talking about, Pastor Phil? He, he talked about the kingdom of God uh, more than any other subject. He was very political. He talked about politics all the time because he talked about the kingdom of God. And I would say to that person, you are a f very, very foolish, borderline blaspheming to boil down and to reduce or to relate, talk about the kingdom with earthly politics. We're talking blasphemy. The kingdom of God is vastly different from anything that... When he talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about Washington. He's not talking about the Oval Office. Quit trying to make the parallels. People do that. So I don't think it's wise to think that he was this big political leader. It's unbiblical to say that. The message of the church is extraordinarily simple. It's the gospel. Paul summarized the gospel, the message of the church in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is primary. I delivered something to you that was of first importance, the most important thing. It was what I received. And he says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the message of the church. We just we talk to people, not about politicians and these things. We talk to people about what Jesus has come to do. We talk about God's love. We talk about God's mercy. We talk about God's grace. We talk about salvation. We talk about Jesus. That's the message of the church, not we got to protect the amendments. And 
The mission of the church is also simple. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to whole creation, the whole creation. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, and 19, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's gospel disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So the message of the church is the gospel and the mission of the church is spread the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ. I, let me tell you, man, I, I'm a student of the Word of God. I love it. And there are some things in it that just blow my mind, and I can't get my mind around at times. There are, just, there are some mysterious things in Scripture. Let me tell you what's not mysterious, the message and the mission of the church. Christ has made it lucidly clear. It, you can't, if you miss it, and we do sometimes because we get distracted, there's just no way to miss it. It's the gospel, the life, death, burial, resurrection. Take it all the way to the ascension of Jesus Christ. And it's go out and proclaim that message and make disciples. It's real simple. I do believe that that God has provided the church with an amazing opportunity right now. An amazing opportunity right now in light of all that's going on and in light of the chaos, in light of the confusion, in light of the tears and all of that. He has just, with the riots and everything else that's going on, he has provided us with an amazing opportunity right now in the midst of everything that's happening post-election to proclaim Christ to those who are hurting, those who are confused, those who whose hopes and dreams of a better America through this person or that person have been dashed to pieces. We shouldn't be responding with, ha, 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 look at them. I know it's hard. I know it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that they would bring in therapy dogs to college campuses because people are so distraught over this. I need to pet something. Bring me a lab. I can't get my mind around it. It's lunacy. I get it. I know we're watching it. I'm going, is this, come on, man. Am I watching My Little Pony? Is this Dora? What's going on here? This is, this is Nickelodeon, right? No, it ain't Nickelodeon. It's the world we live in. Instead of feeling that way and thinking those things, we proclaim the gospel to those who are hurting. Jesus Christ, here's a fact, man. Jesus Christ is the infinitely better Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. You know how we proclaim in the, in the Old Testament, we'll talk about Daniel, and he was this amazing example, and we'll, we'll say that Jesus was the better Daniel. He is the better Daniel. He's the better King David. He's superior to all. All those guys are meant to point to Jesus anyways, but we'll say, you know, Daniel was awesome, but Jesus is the better Daniel. Jesus is the better Hillary Clinton. Jesus is the infinitely better Donald Trump. He is not a politician. He is not a functional savior. He is the Messiah who has come to proclaim the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison doors to those who are bound. He alone offers mercy, forgiveness, new life, peace, hope, security, and purpose to all who come to him by grace through faith. That's our message, guys. That's our mission. We, we've been given a, an amazing opportunity right now in light of all this sadness and hurting to stick to our message and mission, which is the true hope of the world. 
Ephesians 5.16 says, Make the most of every opportunity for the days of evil, for the days are evil. <laughs> There's a warning there. It's like, don't, don't spin your wheels on these other things. Don't spend time on these other things. Stick to the gospel because the days are evil. I kind of I feel that maybe Trump's victory might be a type of warning from God to his church. And typically, people aren't going to think of it like that. They're going to think, well, it's God's blessing. He's given us a respite and more time. I think it's a warning. I think Trump's victory is a warning to the church in America. I do. And I think it sounds a little bit like this. Take your constitutional freedoms for granted no more. Get off the couch, get off your butt, and get to work. That's what I think. And I think he would say it much more eloquently and without the butt part. That's how I'm trying to interpret what's going on. In that, allegedly, these constitutional freedoms that we enjoy, which I think are a double-edged sword because persecution is good for the church, but if it's not coming because those things are extended, that doesn't mean let's continue to sit on the couch and do nothing. It means let's get to work as a body and give of our time, talent, and treasure to the cause of Christ. Because the days are evil. Maybe God's put Trump in office just to not to say, okay, church, keep enjoying yourself. Keep being lazy. Keep sandbagging. I'm not saying that's what we're all doing, but in great in a great number, Christians are just taking for granted what's going on and fat catting around. Maybe what he's saying is, you've got constitutional freedoms that I'm gonna uphold through this person. And don't you dare squander that act of my mercy and grace to you. Get to work. Get to work. Serve me. Bring me glory. Proclaim the gospel. Stick to the message and mission of the church. That's what I think is going on. Number four, submit to civil authorities. Submit to civil authorities. Right now, there are a whole lot of people out there saying, I will not accept Donald Trump as my president, and they're saying, I will not yield to his administration. Some have taken to the streets to protest the election results, thinking that their actions will somehow reverse what's taken place. Don't be surprised if it somehow does. (laughs) Anything goes right now. It's not supposed to. Now, Christians should not behave this way. They should not behave in, in, in an, an uprising sort of rebellious manner to civil authority, even when civil authority is just plain wicked. They are not to respond in this way. They're not to hit the streets. They're not to protest. And they're not to say, because my candidate lost, I'm not even going to look at that person. I'm not going to submit to him. I'm not going to acknowledge him. I don't care. And blah, 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 blah. And on inauguration day, I'm going to drive by and honk my horn. Me, 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 told you. Woo! Oh, man. It's like a cartoon going in my head all the time. Just stuff, just, I don't know where it comes from. Paul would say it's not of the Lord. Um, we should not behave this way no matter who's in office. I mean, for crying out loud, we just had to deal with eight years of Obama. Now, I have to admit, during that eight years of Obama, I have not been a supporter of his. I have not been praying for him. I've, not, I've been kind of acting like he's really not my person. Not, not right. Not the right way to handle this. 
Christians are commanded to submit to civil authority, Romans 13, 1 through 2. I had um, Dan read a little bit more than that. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. <laughs> comes from him. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Oh. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Oh, don't pay off. Civil authority is a reflection of God's authority, and when people rebel against civil authority, they rebel against God. And as a result, they receive judgment. We are to submit even when our values, even when our political preferences are not represented by the civil authority over us. Well, I don't like his, his this or that, and so I'm not giving myself over, and I'm not going to submit. You don't have the right to do that. You got to submit. Even I mean, Think of the first century Christians. Think of Christians throughout all time, and even some today. They've got oppressive dictatorship, bloodthirsty governments over them, and they've got to submit to those governments. They can't say, well, because he don't love Jesus, and he's into this and that, I'm not going to submit. He's been mean to the church. You're called to submit either way. There's one exception to the rule. Submission is not required when civil authority demands that we violate the teachings of Scripture, God's will. That's it. That's the only stipulation. And, and a lot of times, civil authority will want you to do that. And you've got to take a stand and, and suffer for that. And, and there's blessing in it from you, uh, to you from the Lord. Now, God established civil authority for two primary purposes— to punish those who do wrong, who commit evil, and to commend those who do right, 1 Peter 2.14. When elections roll around, Christians should look for candidates who best align with God's design for civil authority. To me, that's, that's, that's the key. It's not so much as that, you know, okay, so he's this, 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 and this, or she's this, 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 and this, and this. It's, it's okay, God has a particular design for civil authority, and its two primary roles are to punish wickedness and to commend righteousness. So that's really the grid that you need to look through. Because guess what? You're not going to find a candidate who lines up with everything else. If you have a candidate who is more likely to uphold God's design for it, even though he doesn't know your God or she doesn't, you still got that's who. If you're going to go down and vote, that's who you vote for. The one who's more most likely committed to acting out God's design for civil authority. Punish wickedness, commend those who do right. It's real simple. And I tell you, I was on the fence last week. I wasn't sure what to do. And after I listened to a brilliant 15 or 17 message, minutes message by John MacArthur on it, where he illustrated this, I, it just illuminated me. And I was like, okay, now I know what to do. Because I was all over the place, back and forth, back and forth. Wait a minute, I have to... I have to boil it down to God's design for civil authority because the ultimate goal of the Christian is to honor God in all things. And, and one of the ways that we can do that is to go down and vote for that person, for that administration, for that group that best represents God's design for civil authority. You know, will he or she commend those who do right? Just consider the outgoing administration's behavior. Hasn't it worked against God's design? 
Yeah. Hasn't it supported those who do wrong and penalized those who do right? Absolutely. The outgoing administration supports groups that murder babies in the womb, and it has branded those who disagree with negative labels. It's put some persecution on those, calling them anti-women, anti-women's rights, war on women, etc., etc., etc. If you come against abortion, which every Christian who's ever lived should, no Christian should ever, ever agree with that, ever. Nor vote for one who is okay with it, Never. To me, it's like an unpardonable thing. It's like, why would you ever, as a believer, support the destruction of life in the womb? It's insane to me that Christians somehow, well, the government shouldn't be. The government's responsibility is to protect its citizens, especially those who can't defend themselves. Invalid, older, the elderly, mentally retarded, babies in the womb. Dang it, guys. How do we get to this place? I'm getting fired up. I'm not. Maybe. The outgoing administration supports groups that murder babies. It funds them. The outgoing administration supports hate groups that promote violence and murderous acts against law enforcement. The outgoing administration supports groups that work to destroy, to absolutely annihilate traditional marriage and family, which is the building block of any civilization, and it penalizes those who disagree. Based on those three facts, and there's way more than that, based on those three facts, you can know without a doubt that the current outgoing administration and the one that Hillary was going to further uh, further and further develop and grow and expand does not come anywhere near God's design for civil authority. You just, you just need to know that. And I don't care what your preference is. Are we going to be biblical people? Or are we going to go with the times and the status quo? And we're gonna, are, What are we going to do here? We need to be people of the word. And dang it, I'm not thrilled about it that, that on our side we have a candidate who doesn't look like Jesus or sound like Jesus or smell like Jesus. But at least he's vowed to do the things that seem to align with God's civil authority. I don't want to eat my words later if he goes in the reverse, but as Christians, it is our duty to expose and oppose these wicked behaviors. And one of the ways that we can do this is through electing leaders who will punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Hillary Clinton is a champion for the ungodly things that I've just mentioned. She is a champion for these things, and she would have no doubt expanded them. And in that, I am super, super thankful and glad at this point that Trump was elected. For the simple fact that he... His ideas and what he's been uh, promoting in these sorts of things align better with God's design for civil authority, and I already know where the other side is. I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm giddy over the fact that God has put him in position because he seems like he's going to be that guy that's going to do that. I hope, I hope, I hope. And that leads to the last one, five, pray for our nation and leaders. <laughs> right now... There are 95 million Americans out of the workforce. Right now, there are 50 million Americans living in poverty. 
Right now, there are 46 million Americans on food stamps. Our national debt, 19 trillion daughters. daughters. 19 trillion dollars. Our grandkids, 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 grandkids will be dealing with that debt 100 years from now. 500 years from now, probably. If we're still around as a nation, which I'm not going to hold my breath. Our national debt, $19 trillion. Since 1973, approximately 60 million babies have been aborted in America alone. 15.5 million were African American. 15.5 million since 1973. African American babies have been murdered in the womb. That is almost exactly half of right now, half of our African American population. Right now, in America, there's about 36 million. Unbelievable. No wonder Pastor Clenard Childress Jr. wrote, the most dangerous place for an African American is in the womb. I could talk about the uh, addictions and suicide rates and, and murder rates and crime rates and and I, just, I think that you get the point. Our nation is in real trouble. And as Christians, we should commit to praying for our citizens and for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions. Okay, for all people, citizens, people throughout the world, our citizens, others, political leaders, other kinds of leaders. Everything is covered in this passage. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Okay, to me, that's another slap in the face. Quit clamoring about this stuff and get on your knees. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in in the sight of uh, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All people to be saved, every type, kings, leaders, regular citizens, every. Man, we've, we've we've got to commit ourselves to praying for our nation, to, to praying for our families, to praying for our neighbors, to praying for our coworkers, to praying for people. And we've got to commit to praying for our leaders, even for Donald Trump. I'm going to be praying that he actually does what he says he's going to do. Not everything. I haven't listened to his entire message, but some of the things that I've heard are things that civil authority should do. We've got to commit to praying. Let's, uh, let's summarize. What should Christians do after the election? Keep trusting in Jesus. He's our only hope. Set a holy example. Gave you some ways to do that. Stick to the message and mission of the church, the gospel, and preaching the gospel and making disciples. 
Submit to civil authority. Pray for our nation and leaders.